Welcome to Entrepreneur Mindset Reset, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to learn from fellow business owners how to decrease the chaos and increase their sense of fulfillment while becoming more profitable. I'm your host, Tracy Trepesky. I'm an executive coach and consultant and mindset mastery expert. I'm also mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. In each episode, we explore challenges, opportunities, and actionable tips to help you move your business forward while staying true to your vision. You'll hear from me and my guests how we've tackled some of the pitfalls and unexpected surprises that entrepreneurship delivers. We're the real deal, and we're here to inspire and encourage you. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a new episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. In today's episode, I'm speaking with the deep and wonderfully vulnerable Seven Jacobs, a social entrepreneur, mental health awareness advocate, and host of the Lost and Searching podcast. I've got to tell you, our conversation today is exactly why I wanted to start this podcast. I wanted to create an equitable space where anyone can listen and learn about the entrepreneurial journey and feel seen, heard, and understood. Seven and I talked about our internal dialogue, the language we use, the thoughts we think, and the habits we can practice to support us in our quest for success on our own terms as entrepreneurs. We didn't hold back, as you'll hear, and this episode is so rich in mindset reset opportunities and support that I'm sure you'll want to listen more than once and make sure to take notes. Seven's journey from spending the first 12 years of his life in LA to kind of coming of age and like really growing up in London while struggling with his mental health, anger, anxiety, feeling lost, scared, and depressed is something we all need to hear and talk about. Everyone struggles. We all have something we need to work on and and to learn, and and maybe we need to learn how to work with it or overcome it. And and Seven Story is a reminder that we're all humans, we're living our experiences, and we get to choose what to do with our experiences and choose the direction we want to take our lives. For Seven, it was a pivotal moment that came for him when he spent three months in Nepal living in a village way out of his comfort zone. That experience helped shift his thinking, and and he really had to dig deep spiritually to change his life forever. During his time in Nepal, at the same time, he's way out of his comfort zone, completely out of his, you know, out of his realm. He was introduced to a book called We Economy. You can find meaning. Make a Living and Change the World uh, by, I think it's by Holly Branson. And so that combination, it looks like suddenly everything began to make sense to him about his potential to have a career that sustains him while changing the world. And this is when he realized that he wanted to become a social entrepreneur. Like he finally had a container to, to, to put his thoughts and his energies into Now, as you listen, you'll notice we really didn't talk shop much because we spent so much time discussing the mindset necessary to be a successful entrepreneur. So pay close attention to how we distinguish the difference between being a manager versus a leader and being self-employed versus being an entrepreneur. One of his mentors taught him that in order to be an entrepreneur, one must be a leader, which in my mind presents a fantastic challenge. Do we want to be self-employed? Or are we looking to be a leader in our space? And 
there's no wrong answer listener. So there's no judgment attached to this, but when you answer this question, you could potentially change everything about how you choose to do your business and set yourself free to achieve what you really want. So listen closely to that part of the conversation. If you're in a space where you're saying, no, I really just want to do, I kind of want to take the job that I had and build a business out of it versus I want to build something that's scalable, that, you know, becomes something really, you know, much bigger than I ever thought it could be. There's no wrong answer. So, so really contemplate this question, right? Do I want to be self-employed or am I looking to be a leader in my space in the field that I'm in? So I got to tell you, uh, I personally am really excited to listen back to this episode many times to keep learning from this incredible human's insights and his wisdom. You want to know and remember Seven Jacobs. So grab a beverage or a snack and settle in to listen to Seven and his amazing journey. Seven, thank you so much for being here today. I am just absolutely delighted to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I'm super excited. Um, really, really enjoyed our pre-chat. So I'm just looking forward to everything we, we discuss and what we can share and, uh, and passing some of it on. Likewise, likewise. I know I love these warm-ups. It's it like sets the tone for the conversation. And and right. yeah, I think we discovered that we might end up going in a different direction than we originally thought when we talked previously a while back. So I'm really excited to dive in and see where this conversation takes us. Before yeah. we dive in, I would love to hear where you're located. I uh live in London in the United Kingdom. Um, but my accent is a little bit strange. I was born in Los Angeles in California. So I've got this kind of amalgamation of the two of the two accents, still much more American. So if hopefully that doesn't confuse anyone, but there you go, that's me. <laughs> you know, when we first met, I wondered if you were Canadian. I get that sometimes. Yeah. Do you get that? Yeah. 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 That's so funny. So transplanted to London. How long have you been in London? A little over a decade. And it's it's a, a big part of my story, but essentially moved over when I was 12. So I'm 22 okay. now, moved over when I was 12. It's been a little over a decade now that I've been here. And it's really strange for me because so much of my growing up has happened here. Yeah. Uh, the vast majority of what feels like my growing up has happened here. But I have lived, I lived in California for most of most of my life and it's where I'm from and it's where I guess technically most of my family is so you know it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of funny how things work out yeah so I've been to London twice I think and it's a cool city mm, um, I love it here it's a really cool city yeah Do, how is it's, living there it's well living here is um is a weird one because London, London gives you lots of confusing emotions. <laughs> I, um, we have, we have uh, what's called the tube, which is essentially the metro uh, uh, and everyone, everyone takes it. It's not a, you know, it's not a thing you don't, you don't take if you have a car or whatever, everyone takes it. And the thing about English culture and especially London's culture is that we're rushing around. We're very kind of kind of like blinders on kind of thing. And so when you're trapped in this like really tight carriage, really far (laughs) underground, it's super hot down there. Even if it's freezing cold up here, it's super hot down there. I was having a a conversation earlier with someone that I'm finally, we get to have meetings in person, had a conversation with someone. We were both saying like being down there is so strange because you can feel people's energy. You can feel mm. the rushedness, the tiredness. Sometimes it almost feels like people are really angry for 
no reason. It's just being on the tube makes you feel these things. So being in London is always strange because I love the culture, but at the same time, going around the city, you get lots, you get, and you got all kinds of different energies, if that makes sense. You get Mm -hmm. suddenly this pang of rushed energy and suddenly this, this pang of like really interesting, diverse, you know, conversations or um, in the entrepreneurship space, there's a lot of, because it's the capital of the country, there's a lot of innovation and excitement and Mm -hmm. interesting conversations. Um, And so living in London is this like, I imagine it's a little bit like living in New York for, for people in, in America, right? It's like you get, you get all these different energies from all these different angles coming in. It creates a really interesting living situation. It is also very expensive here. <laughs> yes, for, I remember uh, that. Just, yeah. just like, uh, uh, you know, New York and San Francisco yeah. and stuff. So it's, it's interesting. But I've always said that I actually prefer living here to Los Angeles and to, to, to when I was living in America in general. And I'm a little bit biased for reasons we'll inevitably get into in our conversation later on. But it's something about the something about London's culture and diversity has just really rubbed off on me. So I love mm. that. And that's really stuck with me. Whenever I go traveling, which hasn't happened for a long time now, but whenever I do leave the city and do go traveling, I, I start to miss it. After a few days, I'm like, I'm kind of missing it. When I'm on the flight back, I'm listening to London musicians hyping myself up, like I'm coming back to London. And I'm like, I'm excited to get back, even though I know I'm just, I'm going to go home and jump on the tube and all the same boring stuff. But for some reason, just being here is exciting to me. So there you go. So it's it's home. Mm. Yeah. There's, I mean, they're obviously very, very different culturally, but I Mm. would say New York is a really great comparison. London and New York, just energy wise, the vibe of the city. The mm. level of like the cacophony, you know, all the noise and, and <laughs> yeah. like kind of dirty, you know, and it, like mm, just, a lo- bit, yeah. you know, lots yeah. of vehicles, lots of whatever, and not necessarily like dirty, dirty, but you know, yeah. Like, I remember, pollu- like air pollution dirty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, mean, you know, yeah. are you at the end of the day, I remember washing my face at the end of the day when I was in London, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much crap that just yes. came off my face. You know what? Yeah. You know what? Um, everyone in the city has this story that when the first time this happens to them where um, they blow their nose oh, yeah. and it's black. Like there's black. like, it's, it's mm-hmm. black in the, in the tissue. And they're like, is, do I need what to go the to the hell? hospital? What's wrong? With, <laughs> no, did I, I gonna, what the heck happened? Am I going to be okay? <laughs> Eventually I stopped noticing it, but I yeah. remember the first time that happened and I was like, what is, did I, what do I have some yeah. kind of disease? Right. <laughs> what happened to me? <laughs> Funny. Um, Mexico so City you know, is like that too, actually. Very really? similar. Mm-hmm. In the winter, because mm. there's the, there's like a thermal inversion. So it gets extra polluted and. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I lived in Mexico city for a while. That's what we're going to go off on a tangent, but I lived in Mexico city for a while. And a lot of people got like respiratory who weren't from there would get respiratory like viruses and, and long lasting things. And Mm. I was one of the only people who didn't. And my philosophy was, well, I just drink a ton of water. I probably drank a gallon of water a day. Wow. And I was the only person who didn't like get really bad acne while I was there too. Just, okay. the, just the pollution's intense. I drank a lot of water. That's really <laughs> so interesting. Up your water it's intake, really, babes. <laughs> it's honestly, it's really funny how how much of a huge difference just drinking water. You can overdrink water, but like yes. you have to drink a hell of a lot of it to, to yeah. overdrink it. Yeah. Whereas I, I'm still guilty of of probably not drinking enough. You know, that's really yeah. funny. I love that though. It's one of these quirks of human nature. I love. Yeah, <laughs> we figure stuff out. 
Oh my gosh. So, okay. So you are an entrepreneur Mm. and when we were warming up, you were saying that there, you have a story or maybe multiple stories that led you to entrepreneurship. So maybe start, does it help to start from today and then go back or does it help to start from back maybe tell us what you're doing today and then fill in the way that makes sense. Sure. I think, I think the most interesting way and the way that's probably be be most fun for both me and, and your listeners um, is to, I guess, start with what specifically got me into entrepreneurship. So I have a whole, you know, long ass life story stuff as we all do to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the best place to start to specifically understand my entrepreneurship journey is around about when I was 18. So I'm 22 now. So about four, four and a half years ago, I, as a result of lots of kind of mental health difficulties as a young person, I was a very angry, uh, cynical, lost, scared, confused, anxious, depressed young person uh, and teenager, I should say. So when it got to that, that point that obviously we all get to when we're 18, some of us know what we want to do, but a lot of us don't. My question was, what do I want to do with my life, right? As it is for a lot of us. And having this mix of really negative emotions, as well as some really self-deprecating beliefs, habits, uh, mindsets, I was in no position to make any kind of life for myself. And I had two main things stood out to me. Is number one, I want to change my life and my position. Whether that, you know, physically, emotionally, financially, financially was a big part of it. As much as I'm I'm not a big fan of actually liking or caring about money, it is a big part of our lives. And then the other hand was all these things that are in the world that are making me so angry. Well, I want to change them. And so I wanted to be able to change my life and change the world at the same time. At the time, I thought that I was such a cynical person. I thought that was physically impossible. Mm. So when I was 18, I was thinking, well, either I try to get into politics and do my best as a politician, and that can be my career path, or like work for like an NGO or a charity or something like that. And those were the only things I saw that could potentially be any kind of a route for me. But neither of them actually excited me at all. Mm-hmm. If anything, it kind of depressed me that I felt like those were my only options. Especially so, politics. <laughs> especially politics. I and looking back on it, I used to be really politically involved and now I'm not. And I'm really grateful mm-hmm. I'm not because I just don't enjoy it. It's really crappy space to be in, I think. But anyway, that's that's a whole tangent. Anyway, so that's what I was like when I was 18. And I was set to go to university when I was 19. So I had a place, I deferred it. So I had a year to do stuff, basically. And one of the things I did is I basically spent three months living in Nepal. And that was on a program uh, that was, I don't actually know if it still is, run in partnership or funded by the UK government and some some partner charities which have operations all over the world in developing countries where they take volunteers from over here with our skills and our education, whatever, and we live with a host family in like a village in one of these partner countries. And there are loads of countries that we didn't get a choice, but I could have been placed in lots of places. I really wanted to go to Nepal. It's a very spiritual place. It's a place that is just very beautiful that I wanted to experience. So I was lucky enough to be placed in Nepal, went to live in a small village called Barte, and we overlooked the Annapurna Mountains. I don't know if that means anything Mm. to you, but for anyone who knows anything about mountaineering or hiking or whatever, Nepal has like 
most, if not all, of the world's 10 tallest mountains in its borders. And so the Annapurna Mountains are like a, a series of uh, like, I think a few of the biggest mountains were literally on my horizon. Beautiful place, mount like 6,000 meters above sea level. Like we, our village was really high up. And so it was this really beautiful location, totally put me out of my comfort zone in every single way. Now, I'm a big believer that sometimes to build people up, we need to break them down. To build ourselves up, we need to break ourselves down. So I was in a place where I wanted to, like, I wanted my life to change in lots of ways, but I was so full of anxiety as well as anger that I couldn't do that until I was broken down. So being pushed so far out of my comfort zone really helped open me up. Cool. What does that have to do with entrepreneurship? Well, in the last uh, couple of years <laughs> of school, well, eventually yeah, a lot, how did I start to discover entrepreneurship? So um, my last couple of years of school, I started really putting myself out there. I went from being a very, I was between the ages of like 12 and 16, I was really socially anxious, depressed, scared of everything and lots of other mental health issues. When I was about 16, started pushing myself, taking opportunities, trying to get out that comfort zone. So I ended up on a youth advisory board for a charity that operates out of um, Virgin. If you know the Virgin brand, Richard Branson. Um, mm -hmm. So it was started a charity called Big Change, which was started by his daughter, Holly Branson, and co-founded by her and a couple other people like one of their royals and stuff like that. So really, really cool charity was on their youth advisory board, met a friend and ended up being a work colleague. He, he introduced me, kind of introduced me to entrepreneurship and he's now a business partner and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But actually what really made me excited for entrepreneurship was that through this experience, I was given, I went to an event uh, that they were involved in and was given a book co-written by Holly Branson as well as two brothers who basically run a charity and social enterprise called We, and they, they do a million things. But basically what this book did, this book's called We Economy, and what it does is it introduces this concept of what's called We Economics, so like economics, but We Economics, that mm -hmm. essentially in the very short version promotes cooperation as opposed to competition as, as part of an economic model, right? And part of this book talked about social entrepreneurship. So imagine I'm in this place, it's this beautiful place, considered fairly spiritual, but really small village, really broken down because I'm so far out of my comfort zone, then reading this book that talked mm. about social entrepreneurship. I'm in a place where I wanna make my life better, improve and change my life, but also make the world better and improve and change the world. And thinking that it's physically impossible to do both at the same time being broken down and more open-minded, then reading this book that introduces me to social entrepreneurship, which says that there are uh, ways of creating organizations, businesses, being an entrepreneur, such that you are doing good for the world in so many different ways, while also making a sustainable business vehicle that therefore improves your life in so many ways. And so I went from being like, it's physically impossible to being like, wow, it is so obvious that they're and beautiful and interesting and exciting to be involved in this thing called entrepreneurship and specifically social entrepreneurship for me. Mm -hmm. And, and that's essentially because like 
the, the thing about having uh, uh, your own business is that a, a, a sustainable business, obviously, especially, is that it opens doors, right? So a sustainable vehicle gives you a chance to improve the world, for example, for in, in every way from now you have an income that you get to decide what you want to do with, right? Do I want to donate some of my money to charity or whatever, which is the really simple stuff straight through to the more difficult stuff or the more complex stuff you could say, such as say I work in the the restaurant industry, right? And all of my competitors are meat eaters. They're not sustainable. And say I want to get into the burger market. Sounds like a random example, but bear with me because there's a restaurant like down the street that operates on this model. So I'm going to use that as my example. They can create a totally vegan menu, dedicate both some of their profits to things that are good for the planet and dedicate to creating operational systems that are good for the planet. So we're going to make sure we're carbon offsetting with our transportation. We're going to make sure we're being sustainable with our electricity usage and our uh, methods of sourcing and that we're fair trade and all these things. Because you have a sustainable business vehicle and it's profitable, you get total control over all of these elements. And because you are now a competitor, when people choose you, they're not choosing the alternative that isn't as sustainable or that is having a more negative impact. So you get to be totally in control of all these elements and thus have a a positive impact in the world in as many ways as you possibly can, as well as creating a business that because it's successful, pays you better than you would have and allows you to have a lifestyle which might suit you more, such as, so for example, I try not to take meetings before 11 in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, so you get that, you get all the benefits of being an entrepreneur, all the benefits of positively impacting the world in the ways you want to. And that to me was so beautiful that I became, I think I became more excited in that than I had ever been. So like, for example, as an entrepreneur now, I I now consider myself a career entrepreneur. What happens to me now is if I get a new idea, I feel like I'm sure you get this too. I'm sure loads of your clients, I'm sure loads of your listeners all get this. We're like, we'll think of an idea and it's like, and I can envision it. And it's like a light bulb moment and I'll start brainstorming and I'll be excited and I can think about the impact and I start writing it all down. That kind of process, right? I think until I was reading this book, I had never once in my life experienced that feeling that now I feel on on a semi-regular basis. I had it two days ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? I feel on a regular basis. It's this feeling of being innovative and excited and and like there's potential and that you get to follow through on it. And so to me, I went, I mean, it didn't happen overnight, obviously, but I went from being one, let's just say very negative type of person to having totally different kind of thoughts and beliefs going on in my head, one being much more destructive, one being much more constructive. Mm -hmm. And that has defined my life since. Still had a lot of things change because like shifting mindsets is Mm -hmm. difficult work and doesn't happen overnight. But yeah, you don't just have a moment and then everything is all better. (laughs) Exactly. Because a lot of it's down to down to habits and routines and and reprogramming. But that started me down this journey of 
being able to reprogram so deeply, so meaningfully, so positively in my life. And therefore it also lets me, uh, helps me impact others too. So, you know, that's, that's pretty much how I got into entrepreneurship. I didn't think I've actually fully answered your question. So what has that <laughs> led to now? And what's the last four years been like, and what do I do now? So I am, it, it, although it has been four years, I, I have spent a lot of that time doing some very deeply personal work, trying to overcome and reprogram lots of things. And I would say the last year is when I've been the most successful in that. So when I was 21 is when I probably had the biggest shift and I've been the best version of myself since then, pretty much since last September. So pretty much exactly a year, um, which is cool. And that was a lot of understanding my self-limiting beliefs, understanding my kind of programming and mindsets and why they're the case and what I want to have and actually doing the work to, to transform, to understand things like my ego and uh, my difficult mental health problems and why those were the case and overcome lots of those things. So, and that has meant the last four years hasn't been super productive. So for example, I spent a year in university. I mentioned going to university. I dropped out after a year to pursue entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, what I got it started with in entrepreneurship when I was about 18, going on to 19 and 20, is was essentially a youth consulting business based here in London. What we would do is we would connect young people from disadvantaged backgrounds um, with organizations and run market research for those organizations. So we would run focus groups, for example, we could run uh, reverse mentoring schemes. So we would, we would pair up those young people with their executives in the company, for example. And we worked for some pretty big brands. Um, here in the UK, there's a restaurant chain called Nando's, which I don't think has much, if any, of an international presence, but they're pretty big over here. They Is were the first client place? I worked on. Yeah. Perry, Perry? They might have some. We have uh, it. Yeah. Not in oh, North really? Carolina, but yeah, they have it in the in the DC area. Yeah, I've, I've okay, it's interesting. Good. <laughs> it's really. Good. I love it. Yeah. See, in London, it's huge. It's absolutely yeah. massive in London. But some more recognizable brands, brands like Nike, Superdry, mm. um, Sports Direct. So you know, we work for some pretty high profile clients, and that was a fantastic entry into entrepreneurship learning an incredible amount very early on at a young age, both about actually working with clients, but also kind of entrepreneurialism and business building itself. Worked on a few things that ended up failing, uh, uh, which, is, which is very, very common for entrepreneurs and learning a hell of a lot in the process. Now, fast forward to today, what do I work on? So I essentially have three different streams of my life. One uh, that I'm still kind of getting into a little bit more is hosting, interviewing, and speaking. So for example, I've, I've been speaking on stages for years, but just not professionally. So trying to get into doing that. I have my own podcast. So trying to find a way of monetizing that or providing the same service for others. And just generally that as one big kind of small business model as mainly as a revenue stream because the other two bubbles of my life of my entrepreneurial life are things where i'd rather not take a wage from them and leave any money as much money as we can in the business one is actually targeting the kind of person that i was when i was 18 people who are interested in entrepreneurship but don't know what to do or how to get into it so increasing access to entrepreneurial uh, education, resources, and communities is what we're aiming to do. That's a very new startup. And then number three is kind of this bubble of stuff that I do with uh, my business partner, a young man named Jeremiah. He has a record label, so I'm helping him build that. And he's also the, the person who I did the youth consulting with, and we're kind of trying to get back into that. So that's a whole kind of little bubble on, all on its own. I say little, all these things are pretty big. 
And those three things, obviously, that's a lot of time. I've been very conscious over the last, especially over 2021, of trying to do too many things because eventually quality starts to drop off. So I maintain a really very careful balance between uh, those three things. But that's kind of what my life is like now. And because I love it so much, I can do a bit more of it without it feeling like work all the time. You know, I find the conversations interesting and the the, the brainstorming and creativity behind it is mm. fascinating. Things like having these conversations with people like yourself, I just love doing them. I love meeting new people. So a lot of it doesn't feel like work, which makes it mm-hmm. easy easier to to spend so much time doing stuff. And it, I guess it helps that I'm that I'm super passionate about all these specific things. Right? I've had lots of things where I've just said no or haven't bothered or whatever because I know I wouldn't be interested in it enough to actually serve the communities that I want to serve. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much me still, still very much a, a young entrepreneur, no, like super amazing, you know, I've not sold built and sold a, a million dollar business or anything crazy like that, but very much into entrepreneurship with a vision of career entrepreneurship and always trying to tie social entrepreneurialism into, into all of it. So that might, might've been a really long answer for you, but that is pretty much me. Well, you said some things that really struck me, right? As points Mm -hmm. to kind of pull out for our listeners. The first one is really the last one, but the first one that sticks out to me is, I think Zig Ziglar said something like this. Like if you, Mm. if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. So, you know, we need to be careful about not becoming workaholics in a way that is, you know, really dangerous to our health, to our well-being, yeah. to our relationships, to all things, right? We all need rest. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really important key point to bring forward. Like, sure. especially in the beginning stages, we, you will work more in the beginning. Mm. Just, yeah. you know, it's, it's I mean, unavoidable. Yeah. Um, it's just the way it is. So I think that that's a really, you know, that's a really key factor. It's like, if you choose something that you love, you may be working in hustling a lot in the beginning, but it might actually energize rather than drain. Mm. Yeah. Right? That's, that to me has been part of the reason why I do or I aim to do, et cetera, all the things that I, that I do because, or, and, and even why I'm able to do it. And I'm sure you experienced something similar where, the beginning of your journey when you are everything. And mm. this is very, it's very cliche to say, but it really is true. You are everything at the beginning as the founder oh, yeah. of, of whatever you're doing. You're the you're founder doing. and the doer. <laughs> exactly. You are, you are yeah. the everything. Entrepreneurship, unfortunately, does have a huge failure rate. And one of the contributing reasons is because if you don't love what you're doing, doing as much work as needs to be done would be literally insane if you didn't love what you were doing. You'd, you'd, yeah. you'd literally be called insane to be doing all that if you didn't like it. High um, burnout. There's a lot of burnout. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. And, and, and it's really funny is some of the, the best kind of entrepreneurial connections I've made, I've made when entrepreneurs who I've considered much better and uh, at what they do and and much cooler than myself and who have uh, succeeded more than me, et cetera, have been when they've actually spoken to me because I've said something about burnout and mental health and they've gone, talk to me about this because like, I'm really feeling, <laughs> I'm really mm. feeling this. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. and it's unfortunate that it's very much the case. It can feel very lonely and isolating being a a leader of any kind. Um, But entrepreneurship is in this really unique space where you're, you're, you're 
this crazy balance of all these things and you've got to be and do all these things and it just can really weigh on you. So, you know what I mean? Having, having something to ground you and make it all, all worth it, but that also makes it fun day to day is an absolute necessity to me. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I think this is where it's really important on difficult days. I mean, we've all had them. I've had my business for, this is the year 12. Um, wow. Yeah, long time. I mean, I was, you know, 12 when I started. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. But, you know, uh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, never mind that I have a child going off to university next year. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are dark and lonely times or there can be yeah. dark and lonely times. So it's really important. It's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is to create mm. a platform that's very equitable and very accessible yeah. to, to share these stories. And I'm intentionally not bringing it on, you know, the people who, who you might know as famous entrepreneurs, right? I mean, I sure. don't know if I have access to them, but in any case, I want regular people doing great things to be here to sure. share this because often what we see mm. with the beauty and the downside of, you know, social media is the highlight reels. We're seeing all the, all the yes. successes, but for every success, there's probably countless failures or, you know, oh, yeah. flops in order to get there. Yeah. And so I think that's really, you know, something key to point out. And the other thing that I was thinking is like in our dark and difficult times, the mm. thing that can keep us going is mm-hmm. the why. And yeah. so this is something that I work on with my clients and often people, people who work with me uh, in private coaching, they often come to me at a stage where they're, they've achieved quite a lot of success. Like, you know, mid six figures to seven figures range in revenues. And they come to me and they, they're saying things like I had a dream that my business was a monster and its mouth was over my head and it was about to swallow Uh, me whole. That's what happened at three o'clock this morning, you know, and they're, you know, that's why I decided to say yes, I'm going to call with you, you know, or I'm, I've had people say, I'm thinking about selling my business and going to work for a firm or whatever, yeah. an or, another organization where I can take my skill set, but not be responsible for the whole business. Yeah. And my approach is to go back to the beginning. Okay. What was it that prompted you to start your business? And most entrepreneurs start a business, even if it's out of necessity, right? They got laid off and they started, decided to start something. Yeah. Usually it's a couple of things. They see a gap and mm-hmm. they fill it mm-hmm. or they want to break out of the system that they were working in, in order to sort of dismantle it and build it in a different way through what they do. So like I have physicians in private practice who get tired of the system and come out to, you know, still within all of the things that are important to follow, but to approach healthcare in a different way or, you know, whatever it might be. So I, I feel like we need to get back to that. Why I have a lot of data to back this up and what I've, the work that I've nice. done with my clients and then other people's research is that when we get back to the why, and we start that, like, why, why is it important for you to be an entrepreneur for you, the listener for you seven and you have your reasons. So when you're mm-hmm. having a really shitty day, yeah, you can come you back to that to and go, yeah. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to focus on what's really important Usually then the chaos starts to calm itself down because it's usually inside our heads. Mm. You know, there's a lot of stuff that we can't control, but we can control our reaction to it. So that's one of the things I work on with my clients and I think is really 
helpful yeah. in this journey. And I both hands in the air. Yeah. <laughs> I've had many times where my coach has said, all right, let's pump the brakes here. You know, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Breath. You know, and, so. and something I'd love to kind of hear from you on that is like, for me, the most difficult thing is working that in. Right. So when someone mm. else asks me, what's my why, then, okay, cool. I can talk about it. And it reminds me, but if I have to ask myself, what's my why specifically just to calm myself down, yeah. my ego has a level of resistance to that, right? Yeah. Naturally, my ego <laughs> yeah. doesn't want, my ego is like, no, I'm happy being angry. Fuck you. I'm going to keep going. Right. right? And um, <laughs> this and is so comfortable. Actually, this is what I exactly, know. <laughs> right. And so having, yeah. having the, the discipline, everything from having the emotional discipline to physically taking the time to remind yourself of those things on a regular basis, almost even as part of your routines, your morning habit, whatever, I, I would think it'd be really, really important. So, I mean, walk me through how you would apply, take that step back and thinking about your why to what you regularly do or how you regularly live. Because those, those negative thoughts, they come all the time, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so what's, what's, what's the antidote? I, w- I would say, you know, most days I wake up at some point it's sitting on my face. You okay. suck. You're not as good as other people, right? Mm, all the, all the negative yeah. chatter. And it's just, it's like a muscle, right? So, okay. so if I'm going to use physical activity as, as a, an analogy, cause I think it's really helpful. If you are deconditioned and you decide that mm. you want to get in shape and you go do a massive workout on your first day, you're going to be so sure. sore for three, four five days that you're not going to be able True. to do it again. So it's a practice, right? And it, and similar to investing. So I'll use that as well. If you invest okay. a little bit of money now, bit by mm. bit, month by month, year by year, however you do it, there's the compound effect. Yeah. Um, same happens with physical activity. So going back to exercise, you know, most people don't really see results in exercise for six to eight weeks. You might start noticing little subtleties, but it's not obvious sure. until about six or eight weeks. So the old thinking was that it took 21 days to build a habit, but we've learned Mm. that it takes 60 days to build a new habit. Mm. So I think, you know, to kind of walk all the way back to the beginning of that one is we're not going to try to start this new habit. If our brain and our ego are going ape shit, like we're just, there's no way that in that horrible moment, it's like trying to calm somebody else down when they're raging. You yeah, don't want to say calm down because that, you know, They'll that always get more goes angry. over real well, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I don't yeah. want to hear from anybody is calm down when I'm pissed. Like, why do you just tell me to calm down? I am calm, you know? So same thing, <laughs> yeah. right? We, so it's important when we're in, when we're in a relatively good space or at least in not a freaked mm. out space to mm. make that decision. Okay. This is how I want to feel. And how do we want to feel when we achieve our goal? We need to create that feeling every day sure. until it feels natural. And so for me and what I do with my clients is we decide on like maybe three really simple things. And we might only start Mm. with one, right? If we decide we're going to revamp our whole lives, we're only going to, well, we're probably not going to last, right? It's not going to work. So something simple, like, okay, each morning when my ego is sitting on my face, screaming in my ears, telling me how much I suck, I'm going to take a deep breath and go, thank you. Thanks for coming. I get you. And guess what? You're mm. going to take the bus today. You're not riding in the car with me. 
and you're certainly not coming on the tube because nobody needs that energy. Right. Right. So yeah. Exactly. Kind of like pat it on the head in a kind of sweet and condescending sure. way. Like, thanks for telling me that, but I've got this. Sure. Acknowledge and let go. I guess, therefore, to me, makes a lot of sense that it would need to be something regular. Right. Mm-hmm. When I've spoken on other practice. shows before. <laughs> yeah. I've spoken on other shows before or um, had other guests on my podcast. What you talk about sometimes are affirmations or things mm-hmm. that will meet that ego or meet those self-deprecating thoughts or meet that version of yourself as negative, meet it square on headbutt it and tell it to move on and clear (laughs) off, you know? Um, Thanks. And, um, and that, that can only, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And that can only work if it's, if it's regular, right. If it's consistent. Because in crisis, if we mm. haven't, if we haven't prepared for it, we don't have much to work with. It's similar to like taking a self-defense class. So we take a self-defense class and something shifts in our energy Mm -hmm. when we do it. So one, we're prepared and we know Mm -hmm. what to do, but two, somehow we're showing up differently and we're less, Mm. I mean, I would love to go on a tangent about just people shouldn't hurt people. Right. But in the meantime, we have a way of putting on Mm. armor, not, not a negative kind of armor, but kind of like, I don't know, like, like a Teflon raincoat, right? Nothing sticks. Sure. Here I am. I'm showing up differently. Yeah. And it takes practice. And I think for Mm. old, old habits, it might take more than 60 days to to build a new muscle. So it's something that we have to commit to. It has to be simple. One thing, two things, right? Yeah. And you can build on it. Usually and, what and happens is good habits beget more good habits. Sure. Right. Sure. So. You, you, by building that foundation and you know what to use, to use your self-defense example as someone who's, I haven't for a while now because partly because of COVID, but I used to be really involved in self-defense stuff. And mm. if someone were to teach you all the coolest moves on day one, and by teach you, I mean, show you, and maybe if you're lucky, try to physically do them, you know, that doesn't mean you'd be able to pull them off if you were actually jumped on the street or something like that. It yeah. takes going, you know, however many times on a regular weekly, monthly basis so that you get used to the feeling, the reaction, the building the confidence. Otherwise, it's just, it's not much different to like having watched a TV show or something. You know what I mean? It doesn't actually yeah. teach you. It's not, that's not learning. We have um, to actually do that's the interesting. thing. Yeah. Mm. And then it becomes more natural, right? So even practicing creating the energy, the way we want to feel when we complete whatever the goal Mm. or task or whatever might be, when we create that feeling, it actually builds the feeling naturally inside of us. So when Mm. I, when I do goal setting with clients, we go out to the end and we work our way backwards, which is really, really useful very useful, sure. by the way, very, I mean, I encourage anybody and everybody to work with a coach. If you can, if it's not feasible right now, here's a great tip, go out to the end result, like mm. a year or two, three, four, five years, whatever your plan is. And look back, like you're standing at yeah. the top of a mountain, looking out over the Valley, because all that garbage in the middle that holds <laughs> us back is handled. Yeah. So we become a little bit less easily knocked over by the stuff when we bump into it and we're in a different energy, right? Mm. That, so that feeling space. So I spend a lot of time and I work with like scientists, you know, a lot of doctors like, what do you mean? How do I want to feel? You know, like, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? Like, tell me like, how do you want, when you get home at the end of the day on a Friday, 
How mm. do you want to feel? And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Well, I, you know, relax. Okay, tell me what relax feels like. And just, you know, go deeper until we actually I get, get to the nugget. And you know what? Um, I I can under as strange as it does sound, I can understand how that how that feels because as as weird as this is, there will be areas in our lives where we we're not used to something, right? Mm. So, and this this always sounds so strange when I first talk, start to talk about it, but then eventually it starts to make sense. So, say for example. I was in the kitchen with Chef Ramsay, Gordon Ramsay, right? And Ooh. he said to me, make a souffle. I'd be like, how? He'd be like, just make it. That wouldn't make any sense to me. I don't know how to make a souffle. I would need, what is step one? What is step two? What is step three? If any of it involved physically doing something technical that I had never done before, I'd need to be shown how to physically do it. And me personally, I'm, I'm what's called a kinesthetic learner, which means mm-hmm. I learn by doing. Yeah. Um, so I would need to see someone doing it and then physically go and do it myself and then yep. be told this is not working. You do this instead. This is right. This is whatever. And then I can reflect and learn and then try physically try again. Otherwise, I will never learn. Right. So right. if someone says, you know, how do you feel? And you don't even know how to process how you feel that question wouldn't make sense. And then that's why, you know, and so it makes sense when you say you have to break it down. So for me, an example that uh, really always works for me and makes a lot of sense to me is when I was a young person, I spent the ages because of uh, some experiences in my adolescent childhood, I spent my uh, some experiences from when I was, or my life, I guess I should say from when I first moved here at the age of 12, Till about 16, I was a very, very socially anxious person, very socially anxious to the point where when I finally started to kind of come out of my shell and, you know, be a part of normal social life, I would describe it as playing catch up because mm. people would know how to do things that we all expect ourselves to know how to do. How do I have a conversation? How do I not overshare how do I make a friend? So for example, and this is still becomes a part of my life because, because of, of how long it was the case. For example, um, a friend of mine, uh, if we're, I don't know, at, a, at a, a party or a bar or something like that, be like, go talk to that person. I'll be like, how? Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? How? Just go, go, go say hi. Have a call. And I'm like, okay, but physically, How? because my brain actually can't process how to do that. That's a bit of an extreme example, because generally I, I speak to people pretty easily personally, but it would be that kind of thing would be very common in my life where I wouldn't know, I would physically be incapable of doing a certain thing that is so common and expected for people to do. And really what it taught me was that based on whatever our context is, right, our experiences, our day-to-day life, that will change what we're what we are quote unquote specialists in, which includes the little everyday things, and therefore what we might not be so good at. And mm-hmm. so for those for those things that for whatever reason we're not used to or we're not experienced in or we don't understand, suddenly going and doing it is a process and does take time. Um, and for me, in a way, that was kind of a in a. It sounds like kind of annoying that it's the case. It is, I guess, a little annoying that it's the case. But for me, a lot of these kinds of issues 
I can actually easily become or at least start to feel more positive because they usually mean that something something more positive is the case. So for example, mm-hmm. with what I've just said, well, as annoying as it is that sometimes there are easy things that we should be able to do that we don't know how to do, actually what it means is that everyone's got something like that or most people will have something like that, which means we're all in the same boat which also was there and therefore we're not alone in feeling that way, but also also that if loads and loads and loads of people have overcome it before, then I can overcome it. And so as difficult as it can sometimes be to experience certain difficulties or challenges as being with being a leader or an entrepreneur, the fact is that as alone as you might feel, other people have successfully gone through it and therefore you can too. And that's a very uplifting and hopeful and freeing kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I, I tend to try to encourage people to think about or, or to, to shift your thinking or focus to, to kind of thinking and feeling that way so that things are just a little bit easier to deal with while you're in the process of doing that, that learning. So mm-hmm. there you go. That, that's a, that's a little, a little, a little side note for me, but it's, it's to me, that kind of thing has been really helpful in making some of those transformations in my own life. So. And this is very applicable to building a business too. I mean, mm. I think the thing about, you know, early way earlier, you said mm. something like, well, how, what does any of this have to do with entrepreneurship? And I said something like a mm. lot or everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Entrepreneurship leadership is life. So mm. it doesn't matter if you're, if you have a title of leader or if you're actually an entrepreneur, everything we're doing in life is building off of experience. And so yes let's use entrepreneurship as an example. If you don't know how to do everything, keep the books, administer, blah, 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 you know, all Mm -hmm. the tasks plus the thing that you do that made you decide to start your business in the first place. It doesn't mean that there's something fundamentally wrong. We were not supposed to do that. My, my intention with my clients is always to help them move from being the founder and the doer to the CEO of their organization. Mm. And there's a big difference oh, yeah. between being the doer and being the CEO. Yeah. Huge and it's a huge difference. leap from management yeah. to leadership. And so what does it mean to be a leader? And one yeah. of the things that some of my clients struggle with is vulnerability. Well, if I'm, mm. you know, especially the doctors, because they're trained to to know, right. I mean, they're just trained to show up with confidence, even if they don't know what they're doing, because they can always go to their mentor or whoever quietly and have those conversations and figure out if they're trying to solve a complex case. Sure. But we're not supposed to do everything. And honestly, if we are doing everything, it's not scalable. And I think life is like that. Well, we might be, I mean, we might be missing a lot of details. I am only detail oriented when I'm building content. Okay. So makes sense. The details that need a lot of attention can be very draining to me, which is mm. why I have an admin assistant who freaking yeah. loves spreadsheets and details. I couldn't care. I know they're important. Yeah, <laughs> but I couldn't care less. I'm exactly the same. I'm like, eh. you make me be in charge of that crap, and I am going to lose so much steam that I won't be able to go do the thing that I'm really here to do. So, yeah. you know, but this is like a life piece, but it's also part of the entrepreneur puzzle. Yes. In the beginning, unless we're funded, like fully funded and we, you know, we're doing something huge. So money has come in for us. Um, But if we're building from the ground up, 
we tend to start out being the first person um, or the only person. And my advice is always outsource quickly, barter if you have to, do whatever you can to to push Mm. off some of the things that drain your energy. And I think in life, if we focus a lot on our weakness, which, Mm. so I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I'm not, no. Love that book. It's one I recommend to my clients all the time. And I I periodically go back to it and experience it differently each time I go back to it, which is really interesting depending on where, you know, what stage we're at. I think it can speak to us in different ways. One of the big things that he talks about in this book is zones of competency. So we have okay. incompetence. Mm-hmm. For me, that's like computer programming. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's not our software, right? It's not, it's not going to happen. Competence, which again, for me, cleaning house, highly competent at cleaning house, but it's not like the th- it doesn't give me joy. Sure. <laughs> I like the yeah. end results, right? But it's not yeah. something like I'm like, oh, I live to clean. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we outsource the big, the big cleaning in our house. Um, yeah. and that freed up a ton of time and energy. Right. So that's a great thing. Most people stop at the next stage, which is the zone of excellence, especially okay. people who work in corporate, who okay. maybe get to a certain point and then feel like they're, they're leveled off. They can't get any further because okay. that's our zone of excellence. This is where a lot of people burn out. It's where sure. people have like their midlife crises, Um, a lot of times they have like unexplained relationship breakdowns and things that like you didn't see coming. And it's often because they get stuck in their zone of excellence. And then the next level of that is what he calls the zone of genius. And that's where when we're doing the thing that we love, it's like time stands still. And like, Mm. it doesn't matter if there are barriers because we're so passionate and so committed to it that nothing can get in our way. An obstacle is like a little hurdle. It's like, okay, I don't know how to jump over hurdles, but I can crawl under them. So this is, I'm going to crawl under it, it out and it just happens. And knock it right? down. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, so that zone of genius is what we want to aim for to spend mm. the bulk of our time. And obviously yeah. it's not realistic if we're building a business from the ground up, or if we're learning a new skill in life, learning how to make a souffle, you know, sure. it's not realistic to jump in and think that we, that we're going to have it all down. We have to build it. We have to build up to it. And so sure. I, I strongly recommend this book. I know it's available in audio format. I know it's available in electronic version nice. and in, in like paper versions. It's, it's nice. the concept of recognizing that it's okay to not mm. be excellent at everything, kind of piggybacking on what you said. There's going yeah. to be stuff we don't know. We also have blind spots, which is why it's great to have a mentor or a coach or work in a mastermind yeah. or, a, or a group or or have trusted colleagues mm. who um, who love you enough to be brutally honest with you when you need it, yeah. right? Not you're just your yeah. yes people. But I think, you know, that's just a really, oh my gosh, I see so many people get stuck at this point of like, well, I don't know how to do that. So I must be a failure instead of like, it's kind of like the difference between a fixed and, and growth mindset, or like even looking at some of Brene Brown's work, it's like the Mm. difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says I did something stupid and I'm going to learn from it. Shame says I am stupid and I'm going to stay stupid. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Even if we don't okay. think we're making that decision. What's the, and the so, narrative difference is so important. Huge. There. I did this, or I don't know how to do that yet. Even just tacking on the word yet opens up possibility that we can yeah. learn how to do it. Language is so powerful. Huge, huge, huge. So and there's, um, there's, yeah. there's one thing you said in there that I want to pick up on. 
I mean, I'm really glad like your listeners and clients and, and, you know, people that you influence have, have you saying this because I, uh, and this is the, the, the difference between management and leadership, because I have been harping on about that since I learned about entrepreneurship. So since mm. I had even seen the examples or done any of the work myself, um, you know, when I was 18 and 19 and I was, I was saying like, okay, this is doomed to fail because the leader is not a leader. The, the leader is a manager and they don't want to learn that that's the case. So where is this going to, and, it, and we were facing the same problems over and over again. And I was like, okay, I can see it. And no one, no one's listening to me or no one's believing me or whatever. There's a huge difference between management and leadership. I think it's Stephen Covey. It might be someone else because I have, I have like a core like stack of books where like lots of my learning comes to, and I always go yeah. back to, but essentially to the idea that together. there are, yeah, but essentially the, the um, uh, uh, book that I, I harp on a lot about, uh, sort of some learning from a book I harp on a lot about, it essentially says that we, uh, there, or sorry, there are three different professional roles. The technician, which doesn't always mean physical technology, but the getting the doer, like you said, getting stuff done, the manager, the people in charge of those doers and the systems that they use, and the leader, the person who sets the vision and tells everyone where to go and boosts morale and making sure the organization is the way it is. As an entrepreneur, or I should say a newer entrepreneur of a newer, smaller, small business, you are all three, right? Mm-hmm. As you've said, the reason I find it really, really interesting, something uh, you said really interesting, where you try to push that person into being the leader as quickly as possible is because being all three is really hard to have all three hats on at once, right? It so, is. you know, I can say, cool, I need to get this report done. Let me put on my technician hat. Okay, cool. Now I need a better system for the next report I'm going to do. So the report's done, take off the technician hat, put on the manager hat. Okay, cool. Am I still too in the weeds? Let me take off my manager hat and put my leader hat back on and check my vision. Am I actually working towards what I want to work towards? That, even what I've just described of acknowledging uh, consciously that you're taking the hats on and off, that is also really difficult. It can be so hard to try to balance all these things together. And I my experience, uh, research and learning I've got from one of the, the startups that I'm involved in that I mentioned earlier, all of it tells me that this kind of thing, right, understanding these roles, understanding how to play them, understanding what yours needs to be as the founder can actually help decrease that huge failure rate that, that we have in entrepreneurship, can help decrease it so much because most of that failure comes from mistakes or from not knowing what to do next or Mm. just making the wrong decisions. And the vast majority of that can be helped by being the best leader you need to be or the best leader you can be, I should say. And, and you know what I mean? And so it makes it, I I suppose part of this is just, I'm really happy that someone else is saying all the same things I am. Um, (laughs) But I, but I do. Well, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And, and, Strangely enough, although COVID's separated all of us a little bit, it's also connected us a little bit by speeding along how quickly people are likely to jump on uh, a, a video call with a stranger. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it's like you, something, a, a key difference I, I also always go on about is the difference between leadership skills and being a leader. 
So again, the focus on language, the difference between the doing and the being. And um, something I learned very early on in my journey that uh, 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 someone who coached me a little bit a while ago, I say a while, this was a number of years ago now, something they told me is that an entrepreneur is just another word for a leader. Because being an entrepreneur, like a leader isn't necessarily an entrepreneur, but an entrepreneur must be a leader. So it's just another word for a leader. And to me, that illustrated the difference between just having leadership skills, which any individual, regardless of whether they're the technician, the manager, or the leader needs to have or can have, being the leader is, is just that. It's being. It's a state of being. It is an everyday way of living and the way your brain works and the way you've programmed yourself to think and view people and to engage and discuss with people. And it creates take, takes really difficult work. I see it as a really important foundational work from which everything else can actually grow. And that is in very stark contrast to the people who start their own business just because they want to be their own boss, which really mm. just means they're just creating a job for themselves. And therefore, where's the leader in that equation? Because it's not them. They didn't want to be a leader. They, they wanted to be the technician without the boss telling them what to do. And I think those are two very different places to be in with the former being the way an entrepreneur actually builds a fantastic, sustainable business. Like I was describing earlier on in, in the show, Mm -hmm. right. Um, It's just such a, to me, I feel like I'm harping on now, but to me, it's such an important difference and it's, it makes it so that what you're doing is actually interesting and exciting, but is also worth it. Right. So, you know, I think that there's, I took a workshop um, a while back and they talked a lot about like, you basically, you'll get to a point in your business Mm. where you need to make a decision. And the, the language that they used, I thought was really interesting. Do you want to be an empowered practitioner? Mm. Okay. Which means you're basically a solo entrepreneur. You maybe have an assistant and a handful of like a contracted people yeah, who help people you with you stuff. Outsource things you outsource too, yeah. things too. Or you become the CEO. And yeah. there's no right or wrong way. It's a decision mm. that, and it has a lot to do with at a certain point in the growth of your business and at a certain point of revenues that mm. it just becomes necessary to make that decision. And that's where a okay. lot of people get stuck and why they come okay. to me is there. They have to make that decision. And the numbers they used are a little bit different than the numbers that I've observed, but also my clients are doing a little bit different things than some of the people who are at that workshop. The numbers they used for like coaches, consultants, people kind of in in that realm was like, it's like 350 to $500,000 in revenues. That's about the point at which your business starts to need a definition. Are you going to stay an empowered practitioner where basically you have people who do do stuff for you. You show up and do your thing, but you're not trying to scale Mm -hmm. to reach the masses. And then there's the other, right? Which is, okay, do you want to scale this business? And at the point that you want to scale, you must become the CEO. Yes. Yes. You must have a team. That makes so much sense to me. I love that. And it's That's different really numbers nice for, but it. you'll see it. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll know it. It makes a lot of sense because recently I've been exploring the difference between that, you know, type of business, business where you're the CEO and like mm-hmm. that and a self-employment 
uh, a sense. So the way I think about it is, are you self-employed or are you uh, an entrepreneur? Because I actually don't see them as the same thing, personally. Not. But well, at least uh, at least in the UK, it can feel like we we conflate them. We we use at least here, and the UK and Europe in general isn't as entrepreneurial as the US is. But over here, I feel like anything to do with small business or starting your own business, we kind of throw the word entrepreneur around. And actually, I see them as very very different things. An entrepreneurial person doesn't necessarily need to have a business. And an, a business person isn't necessarily an entrepreneur. Right. And I think that's very important to understand the difference. I feel like if you see yourself as an entrepreneur, you must see yourself as, as someone who has or is at least working towards certain qualities and character traits that allow you to create great work and do great things consistently. It is a, It is more of that state of being. Whereas if I don't want that, that is totally fine. And all I want is to be a self-employed individual practitioner. That is totally fine. And I think that's a, it's a beautiful thing. Our economies it's, need it. You know yep, what I mean? And it's, it's fantastic. And it's an incredibly empowered it's, decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's the great clarity is what needs to happen. Mm, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. what's the difference between the two, which is actually right for me. And I think that would also help decrease the failure rate of entrepreneurship a little so. bit. Oh, well, clarity mm. is the big, 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 big one, mm. right? It's lack of clarity and, and people throw around the word discipline. And so it's kind of gotten a negative connotation, but it's having, mm. having the discipline. So the word discipline actually comes from the root word disciple, which means to teach. Oh, so if we're willing to have, so I know, of course, sense. right. <laughs> so if we have the discipline, if we're willing to implement the, the discipline yeah. to go to where we want to go, there is nothing wrong. I actually have a client now who's like, I don't know if I want to run a big organization. And I mm. said, okay, that's great. Yeah. How can we empower you to just now show up and do the thing that you love? So now it's time to start outsourcing and getting some, some contractors in to do some of this other stuff for you. Right. Great. Yeah. I suspect that will change once she gets a taste of that freedom. So she'll probably come back and be like, I changed my mind, <laughs> but for the time that. being, you know, and I think it's just really important. It's that, that the missing piece is spending the time to look inside of ourselves mm. and get really clear about what it is that we really want. And it's okay if we're not super clear yet, because we can start with what we don't want. And then we can yeah. start to paint the picture of like, if I had a magic wand and I could wave it realistic, but a stretch, how would my life and business look? Because that yeah. starts to answer the questions that maybe direct linear questioning doesn't get to. Yeah. Um, and then so, a, yeah. A, an activity just to wrap us up here, an activity that uh, people at home can try similar to what you've just said is something we used to do in our youth consulting days for our clients with the young people we would bring in. What we would do is we would do this is a brainstorming activity where we would say to the participants we had brought in um, this organization we brought you into, they want to run a campaign to achieve whatever. So community engagement or um, a marketing campaign or whatever, you are now going to put yourself in the position of the chief execs of the organization. If you could do anything you want to do, but ignore, you know, ignore, is it realistic? Ignore what is your budget constraints? Ignore that. Just brainstorm everything you want to do. What do you want to do? And obviously they would get super, super creative, right? Yeah. Because they don't need to worry about the constraints. We want to have 
a Richard Branson style hot air balloon and we want to rent out a stadium for a day and we want to run these workshops in that stadium and we want to bring these uh, uh, disadvantaged groups from the community in to do X, Y, and Z. And then we can use that to talk what we would do is we would use that to speak with that organization about, cool, using these ideas, how do you work back to do as much of it as, as possible that is realistic? Right. Mm. So in other words, you start with that, I would call a big, hairy, audacious goal, which as a coach, you might also use. Right. How do you start from that really crazy sounding end and actually work your way backwards, making it more realistic uh, so that you can actually do something that is realistic, but it helps open up your thinking. And I think uh, that kind of thing is, is currently helping me a lot as an entrepreneur by letting me set crazy visions that, or at least they don't feel crazy to me, but they sound crazy to others because actually I have this vision that might be huge, but actually I know how to make it realistically achievable, or at least an idea of how I would make it realistically achievable. And then mm-hmm. suddenly people are on board and you have things you can actually work towards. So yeah. I just think that's a really fantastic, you know, kind of, kind of activity that, that anyone can apply to pretty much any part of their life not just things like, like their business or, Mm. or a project, you know? So, yeah. I love it. Mm. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to ask how people can find you. Like, how can we support you and where can people find you? And we'll put all links in the show notes, but just give us an overview. Cool. Well, um, I think the biggest thing at the moment is um, I have a podcast of my own, which is called Lost and Searching. And what I do on there is I speak with um, entrepreneurs like yourself, Ayaf, um, or leaders of all types um, from all work and uh, backgrounds and experiences and age groups. And what we do is we talk really openly about mental health. Something I haven't talked too much about in this uh, session with you is my mental health journey and how it's impacted my entrepreneurship. But I am kind of at this intersection between the youth entrepreneurship and mental health. And that's important to me because a lot of the things we experience as entrepreneurs are things I have experienced growing up. And so I was like, oh, I kind of recognize these, um, mm. these issues. So how do, we, how do we pass this on to people who don't understand them so much? So we speak... Uh, about our mental health experiences, challenges, and what we learned as a result and how that applied to our positions as leaders. So if that kind of thing might be interesting to you, that is lost and searching anywhere that you get your uh, podcasts. So wherever you're listening to this. And that is really the number one. And the number two uh, would be to follow me on Instagram. Instagram is where I'm most active, although I'm currently taking a bit of a break from it. Um, Instagram is where I'm most active and eventually I'll be posting more content resources and uh, sometimes even the odd opportunity here and there on there. So those are the the main two things. And thank you very much for asking. Um, And I hopefully those things are are useful to, to anyone listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today. Before we go, any parting thoughts, any like piece of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, there's a million things. You got I like could 20, say. Seconds. <laughs> 20 seconds. 20 seconds. <laughs> to make your, think, your heart stop. <laughs> yeah. The number one thing that I think as a result of this conversation that stands out to me is regardless of where you are in your journey you are enough. Mm. That is something I like. I like sharing a lot. 
all these things we talk about, they make, we make it sound like it's complicated. It really doesn't need to be that complicated. Sometimes it is naturally, but it really doesn't need to be. And that can make you feel a certain type of negative way. And actually at the end of the day, come back to the fact that you are enough. You will be able to get there one way or another. if, If you're determined enough, as long as you don't stand in your own way. So understand that you are enough, regardless of what might be standing in your way. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much. I mean, as to this thank conversation, I I look forward to going back and listening uh, post-production because I think that there's just so much wisdom that you've shared. I think, you know, we talked mm. about really deep stuff that I believe the journey of entrepreneurship is a bit of a journey to the soul of oneself. Sure, it's yeah. definitely something that we have to expose uh, our weaknesses, we need to be vulnerable. And, you know, you sharing your journey and these kinds of conversations like we've had today are just so rich and so beneficial mm. to, to entrepreneurs, but really to humanity. You know, we all really yeah. need to start talking more about the reality and the truth of life and the truth mm. of who we are in our journey. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and, yeah. and sharing today. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It was great to be here. Great to have this conversation. Hope it was useful to everyone. Um, And yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. If you liked what you heard, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. Please leave us a review and tell your friends about us so more people can hear the valuable information we share in each episode. We look forward to hearing from you and celebrating your success.